0: Miracy With my audience, first of all, I feel like I have a relationship with them. It's a true relationship. You know, anytime I get a response, I try to respond back. but even the fact of getting a response makes me feel like okay, we're in personal relationship now. like I have a business relationship with my entire list, but with many of them I feel like I have a personal relationship.
1: Hello, I'm Melinda Cohen and you're listening to Just Between Coaches. I run a business called the Coaches Console and we're proud to have helped over 70,000 entrepreneurs in creating profitable coaching businesses. In this podcast, my guests and I discuss challenging conversations we have with our clients, but we also dive into business issues we might face as coaches. In this episode, I'm going to go into a softer topic, nurturing your audience. So you've started your coaching business, you're attracting people on your email list, and you've got a marketing strategy in place. You're doing what you love. You're coaching your clients. But then a colleague asks you, well, how do you nurture your audience? And all of a sudden you're like, wait, what? I'm not doing that through my coaching. Wait, how, what, what is that? How do I do that? And that's what I want to talk about, right? Because as all business owners, we need to build relationships And so I've invited a great friend, a longtime colleague, and a coach to talk about this topic. Today, I'm going to have a conversation with Linda Claire Puig. Linda is the founder of Six Figure Newsletters and helps entrepreneurs develop profitable relationships and portable businesses. I love that. She's an avid traveler and co-founded AdventurousLife.io. She's an award-winning journalist and an author of the book, Free. She knows the importance of engaging your readers, i.e. your audience. And she says there's a process to nurturing your audience and what provides value to your clients when you're not coaching them. But it can be hard to understand how to do that in a way that nurtures both them and your business. Linda, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, Melinda. It's such a pleasure to be here with you.
1: I'm so excited to have you here. Now, we've been going to conferences together and retreats and summits. And before we dive in, can you share with our listeners a little bit about your background?
0: Sure. I am actually, my first background was as an accountant, but not that many people know. Now you know. But then I was a journalist for a number of years. And when I left the journalism field, I kind of puttered around for a long time and was like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I found the perfect opportunity. It was a marriage of the topics that I love, which is helping people transform, transform their lives, transform their businesses. So being able to be of service to them in a way that was also very interesting to me. And so that's when I started six-figure newsletters and rolled out a variety of services and training programs. We have ready-to-go articles and I teach a course on audience building. So It's been a, you know, an evolution as every business is, but that's the short story.
1: This topic that we're talking about today, nurturing your audience, when we say nurture your audience, what does that mean?
0: (laughs) Good question. That's the appropriate place to start because for a lot of people, it's a big question mark. So basically when people come into your world, into your audience, they're doing it because they had some sense the opt-in freebie that you offered them, like whether you did a webinar or whether you gave them a you know, top 10 list or something, whatever it was about that that you gave as kind of an exchange for them giving you their email address, they sensed something in you that made a connection. But that sense goes away really quickly if they don't hear from you after they get the thing that they wanted. So if they don't hear from you when you're not coming into their inboxes regularly, then they just forget about you. And by the time you email them next, they're going to be like, who is this person? Why are they emailing me? So that's one thing just to kind of stay in the forefront of their mind. But it's not just about staying in their mind. It's staying in their mind with really quality education, information, inspiration that pertains to the issues and the topics that you work with your clients on. So the reason that they signed up for your list in the first place was something to do with the topic that was in your freebie or in on your website, et cetera. And so when they start understanding, oh, this person gets me, like that's a really important part. They get me. They're gonna be more inclined to work with you, more inclined to pay attention to your emails. But they also are gonna be saying and thinking things to themselves like, oh, wow, this person has a lot of experience with that. Or, oh my God, They had the same life lived experience that I had. And they're teaching me something on this. Like they are a few steps ahead of me. I could really learn from this person. So it's a credibility enhancer, an expertise positioner, and just a relationship builder. So being personal in your communications, in your nurturing communications is a really important piece.
1: You know, it's interesting with the newer coaches there's the idea that when i tell the world i'm open for business people will come and want flood to in. sign up <laughs> and flood in right uh, it happens to all of us and uh that's not true one of the things that i had to learn was you know and there's so many different studies and i can't find one true thing but you know there's one study that says you need to interact with people five times before that relationship is really strengthened or seven times or 21 times or 49 times or 11. I mean, there's so many, but really what I get from all of that is that it takes multiple points of interaction consistently. Yes. That that is, like you said, if you don't stay in touch with people, they forget about who you are because everybody has mile long to-do lists with a lot of things pulling them in all these different directions. And so we have to stay top of mind. And if it's a priority for them, they'll connect with us. And if it's not, then, you know, they may down the road or not, but it's our job as business owners, uh, kind of take the coach hat off working with our clients, the business owner hat, put that on. We have to build relationships. And in this virtual online world, what are the best ways to do that?
0: Well, okay, that's a big question. So in this virtual online world, there are many ways to nurture your audience, but I'm gonna tell you about the best way. So the best way is to get them to your email list, right? There are ways to nurture them on social media and there are also ways to attract them to your email list on social media, but we're not gonna talk about that right now. We're gonna just talk about how to nurture your audience via email. And just a real quickie, email is where it's at.
1: Okay, say more about that. Because I just had one of our students just last week said, Melinda, email is dead. Nobody's on email. I've got to do it through social media and tech and all this. other. I'm like, no, 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 email is not dead. So say something about that, because I think there's a lot of people out there that might be thinking that.
0: Yes, I think there are a lot of people that think that as well. Here are a few things that you need to understand about email. First of all, it's not dead. The Wall Street Journal did a couple of articles a decade apart. They did one in 2009 that was kind of saying email was dead, basically. And they did one in 2019, 10 years later, saying the hot new channel for reaching your marketers, of course, email, right? So email's not dead. It's not going anywhere anytime soon. There are a lot of studies that show that people prefer their marketing messages, their interactions of this nature via email. There are lots and lots of studies. You can actually go to a website called emailisnotdead.com or Email is not dead now or something.com. I think it's just email is not dead. So you've got them on your list. You want to stay in touch. What do you stay in touch with? Basically, what you're looking at are two buckets of material. One bucket is educational, inspirational, motivational, and the other bucket is personal. You're not writing a promotional piece. When you're nurturing, you're not writing a buy this. Kind of email. You're writing a, here's what I know about this. I thought it might help you kind of email. So that looks like finding out what your audience's biggest needs are, biggest issues are, and writing about those. And I have a variety of ways for people to brainstorm topics like article topics. And there are many besides the three that I teach. But uh, just to give you the teeniest, tiniest little bit of that, just so you understand. If you took, for example, if you listen well to your, to your clients and to the people who are in your ideal audience, you listen for what they say frequently or what they ask frequently. And I have an example that I use of a, like a fitness trainer who often hears, well, I, I got injured and I just, you know, I stopped working out because I was injured and then I haven't been able to get back into it. And so you take that comment, this is called the one comment method, you just take that comment or that question, and you start brainstorming every possible answer and solution and angle to that one topic. So for example, with a person who had dropped off their fitness habit because of having gotten injured, you could do things like how to work out when you're injured, how to still work out when you're injured, how to get good cardio sitting down the sprained ankle workout, the broken arm workout. Like there are just so many different ways of answering that kind of a comment or or responding to it with your area of expertise. Okay, so that's the educational and inspirational part of it. Now, the other bucket doesn't need to be a separate piece of writing. You can interweave this into the article that you're writing as well, or it could be just a personal note as well. But it's the personal. And So you can write a personal note at the top that's talking about, you know, what you've been thinking about lately, what you've got going on, like, I'm getting ready to travel for the first time in two and a half years on an airplane, and now I have a dog, and so I had to make arrangements for my dog and blah, blah, blah. Like, I could talk about that, literally. People would know just a little bit about me. And the other way you can do it is to weave your personal experiences into educational articles. So that's one of my favorite things to do when I travel is to use my travel experiences to pull out metaphors and pull out, you know, ideas that come from that experience. So I've written about this horrible hike I had in Greece and the lessons that I learned from that that are pertinent to business. Uh, I've written about getting locked in a department store in Rome at night (laughs) after everybody had gone and pulled the lessons from that. Like, it's super fun to take experiences in your life. I mean, it could be you going to the grocery store, right? It doesn't have to be travel. But if you do travel, I highly encourage you to incorporate your travel into your nurture emails to your audience.
1: It's great. And it was just reminding me, I remember a few years ago, I went to South Africa for the first time. And every day I was like you initially, I was like, no, my personal life is my personal life. My business life is my business life. But that was just so awesome. I could not not talk about it. And so every day I'm in our Facebook group and I'm showing a little, it's like, oh my gosh, there's the rhinos. And this is where I'm having breakfast. And I'm looking out and oh my gosh, that's the giraffes out there right there while I'm having breakfast and just talking about that. And then sometimes I would pull um, the metaphors, sometimes I wouldn't, it would just be like, look at the giraffes, like that's amazing. And sometimes it would be the metaphors to business and teaching a lesson. And I had more interactions, comments, questions. People would just respond with different questions, sometimes about the thing, sometimes not about the thing, but it just prompted another question that then took off in a different direction. And it was, it was so incredible. And I was like, okay, let's do this for a whole month. I wasn't in South Africa for a month, but I kept it going for 30 days. And it was an incredible experience. At first, it felt daunting, like, oh my God, I have to post for 30 days. But once I got into it, it was fun. Can you talk about that, like that aspect of it, if you're weaving in your personal stories and how to not let it take away from your experience, but still serve your audience? How do you make that magic work?
0: Oh my goodness. I, you know, because I think I come from a journalism background, there's never been a time when I thought I need to have this experience all to myself. You know, like I always enjoy sharing it, but I get what you're saying. I think that the thing that I tell people is share as much as you can, even if it's highly personal. I, like you, have also included emails that are like have nothing to do with business. And of those, I think all the ones that I can think of are when my dog died, my last dog died, and when I was hospicing her, and when I took my son to school, and when I was so proud of my son because he I discovered he has this amazing voice because he was in a musical. And those had nothing to do with business. I didn't even try to pretend. And I had the most interaction of all the emails that I sent. And what happens is that those kinds of pieces of information bond your audience to you. They really, they see you as a person, they can relate to you as a person rather than some, you know, ivory tower academic person or some, you know, marketing guru over here. So they really, really get a sense of who you are as a human. And what's interesting is that the advent of social media has almost made that a requirement. So, you know, any and everybody wants a personal connection with the people that they're doing business with.
1: And I think, uh, you know, transparency is a a big value of mine. And I, when I would be on social media, I was like, you know, I'm, it's just going to be real. Whatever it is, it's going to be exactly how it is. I'm not a big fan of polished, only put forth a certain facade that you want people to see. Like I want them to connect with who I am. And sometimes it's messy. Sometimes my hair is tied up in a knot and I have on no makeup and I'm in my backyard because there's an amazing, My rhododendron is, you know, the size of my house and it's in full bloom. And I couldn't wait to show it to people, like, whatever. And so I find that there was also incredible response to that. I would always get comments like, oh my gosh, you're human, just like me. I'm like, yeah. And it would give permission to those in our audience. It's like, wait, I can do this. I can totally do this. And it was just an interesting permission giving piece. I didn't expect that when I would be sharing stories or, just letting people kind of see behind the curtain. But it was a really, like you said, it bonds, it bonds you to your people. And that level of trust, I have found when there's that level of trust before somebody ever becomes a client, that's what makes it easier for them to take that very daunting step to say yes to making change in their lives, right? Because nobody's really saying yes to signing up for our code. Nobody buys coaching. They don't buy our programs. They don't buy courses. They buy the transformation. And that is no joke to say yes to that. And so when we can nurture and build relationships and create that trust, that's when it's easier to say, okay, I think this is my gal. I think this is my guy. I think this is who's going to guide me through this. I like them. I can relate to them. They're relatable.
0: And I have one thing to say about transparency. I'm also a big believer in that. And there's one exception that I've discovered And that exception is, you know, we all have our various times of having what I call a gremlin fest, right? Where they're just like, they're going, we can't even stop them. They're just going at it so hard. And um, sometimes it's a serious life experience. And I'm just thinking right now of this coach in Texas that had coached my mom. And I got her email newsletter as well. And she was great. I loved her newsletter. It was fantastic. And then all of a sudden, It started to feel like her life was really kind of off. And she was talking about this sudden divorce and a sudden move to Georgia and then just as suddenly moved back to Texas. And she was just describing all this. And whereas, you know, for some people, it might be fine, right? Their brand is, I'm so messy. Like, my life is so messy and my intern, like, but here it is. And that's, that's part of their brand. But for others of us, we have to just make sure that we're not doing things that are dissuading our audience from trusting us. Because what I experienced with that woman was like her life was in such upheaval and her decision-making seemed off to me. And so I withdrew the trust that I had in her.
1: Interesting. Yeah. We've got to pay attention to that. Yeah.
0: So I just say, wait until after you've been through the experience, gained the wisdom, gained the understanding of what was going on, like you understand it a little bit better and can talk about it. And then it's a super valuable thing to talk about. But just be mindful sometimes. Yeah, that's very good advice. Now,
1: another thing that I hear a lot about when it comes to marketing, nurturing, list building, all of that is, well, Melinda, I'm an introvert. So I don't like to put myself out there. I don't share myself or my stories with people. You know, I stay close to home. Um, so can you talk to the introverts out there? Because I'm an introvert and I'm I have an found a way. <laughs> and I find, you know, I haven't found the study that says, but if I had to guess, I'd say 85% of entrepreneurs are introverts. It seems like all of us <laughs> are, but maybe not.
0: Not. I know plenty of Extroverts.
1: Because, you know, when I'm out there and I think back to sharing my stories of my travels or whatever the stories were, I know I shared with when my mom unexpectedly passed away or just different scenarios that were very real for me in the moment. And it didn't feel like as the introvert, I was going against myself or anything. It didn't even feel, it just felt, I think there's a difference between being introvert and being vulnerable. Can you talk about that for a little bit?
0: Ooh, that's a very interesting juxtaposition. So definitely introverts, your best, your best place is email because at least then you're just writing. But in terms of sharing yourself and experiences from your life, I get it. I am a super private person. And uh, that's one of the reasons that I don't care so much for social media and don't really participate in it. I just don't, that's not my thing. But for some reason, it's easy with my audience. First of all, I feel like I have a relationship with them. It's a true relationship. You know, anytime I get a response, I try to respond back, but even the fact of getting a response makes me feel like okay, we're in personal relationship now. Like I have a business relationship with my entire list, but with many of them I feel like I have a personal relationship. And it was difficult at first, I won't lie. My experience with Privacy and my audience, and you know, communication with my list was that for the first couple of years that I did a newsletter, first of all, I did it very sporadically, which is a no no. And I also did it, it was completely from my business and from my business's name. And I didn't show up anywhere in there. It was just like an institutional corporate like business, which is hysterical now that I think about it. But that's where I started because that was how uncomfortable it felt at first. You just have to go through that nerve-wracking part, and then you start to discover that people respond and they really enjoy this interaction with you and so it's just it's one of those areas where you you kind of have to walk in faith, and I want you to walk in my faith in you and my knowledge that it will work for you, so just walk in that until you can walk in your own faith.
1: I love that. I think there's a place for social media. It's not my favorite place. And I think there's a place, and I talk about it, you know, it's great for generating awareness. It's great for attracting and making those initial connections. So it's not, I want everybody to hear, it's not an either or, like, don't do that, but do this instead. I think there's a place for it. And so as you're generating that awareness, as you're attracting those people, as you're making those connections on the social media platforms, that's the first part of it. And then to get them to your email list, from there, you nurture and build the relationships in a deeper way. So it's, they work together. I want everybody listening in to hear that for sure. Now, just a moment ago, you talked about, you kind of slipped in there. One of the mistakes you made early on was that you were sporadic in doing it. Can you share what are some other common mistakes when people start nurturing their list?
0: Yes. Being sporadic is probably one of the biggest ones. You really need to commit to a regular and consistent mailing schedule. It's really great if you can put together an editorial calendar so that you know for the next three months at least what you're going to be writing about when and what the topics are going to be and whatnot. So really, you should be emailing your audience at least once a week. I think twice a week is even more preferable but once a month is way too seldom. People will forget who you are in between times. Another mistake that people make when they're sending what I call nurture emails or newsletters, some people call them newsletters, is that you try to put, like this is what happened to me at the beginning. I thought, well, a newsletter is a marketing tool, so I should be marketing. And marketing means promoting. And that marketing doesn't mean promoting right? That's different. But everything that I wrote in the beginnings had a promotional tinge to it. So it wasn't true nurturing. Um, There are ways to nurture even when you're promoting. So I don't want to say that they never go together. But for the most part, your promotions are just free, generous givings of your wisdom and your expertise.
1: One of the things that I tell our students is the mantra, serve, 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 sell. Like as you're writing your content, like let there be a few pieces where you're just serving, you're just sharing your experience, insight, guidance, resources, and then make sure you insert the one where you make an invitation or an ask or an offer or something like that. But um, yeah, you've got to make the distinction between the two. Now, when it comes to new coaches, especially, you mentioned something earlier in the podcast where you've got a background in journalism. And so I would imagine your brain works a certain way to understand how to write about things. But a lot of times when we start our businesses, I know I didn't have that background. Um, And so people, they just want to focus on, I just want to coach. I want to do the thing I love. And they don't have that mindset or that perspective that you do. Can you talk to those entrepreneurs about how they go about this
0: and how they start thinking about this? So the best way to get started is with a simple top 10 or a top seven list. These are the easiest things in the world to write and they'll get your wheels greased. So what that looks like is you write a little introduction about what this top 10 thing is about and why you think it's a good idea to kind of look at the top 10 things. And then you write each of the top 10 responses to the prompt that you're giving. Like, let's say your top 10 is the 10 mistakes that every new coach makes in emailing their list, right? So then you would describe the problem, list the 10 reasons or the 10 mistakes, and a little bit of exposition about them, and then a conclusion. That's the easiest thing in the world to write. And the other thing to do is just to write like you're writing to a friend. Some people go to the step of creating an actual avatar in their mind of who their audience is, kind of a generic understanding of the main qualities and traits of the people that they're they're working with. For example, in my audience, it's usually about three quarters female. So generally speaking, when I'm writing my audience, I generally have in mind a female that I'm writing to. So those kinds of things can help make the whole process easier a lot easier.
1: Yeah. It's that, you know, the old saying people buy from you when they know you like you and trust you. That's when they hire you. That's when they rehire you. That's when they refer you. And this piece of it, whether we're an introvert, whether we're brand new at this, uh, becoming real and transparent in front of those that are interested in the journey we can take them on and the transformation that they can experience in working with us. That nurturing, that relationship building is so important. And, you know, in my book, I talk about the coach approach to business. And it's one of the reasons, like, as coaches, we have this advantage coaches, consultants, practitioners, like those of us that are service based type of entrepreneurs, because in our communication, we can, we know how to be of service. It comes naturally. Like you said, we just have to remember to do it. And it's so important. So, Linda, thank you so much for being here and for talking about this incredible and important topic. It often closes the gap. Like you said, we can't go from just traction to immediate clients. There's that in-between time. So I just want to give a quick summary because we have packed in a lot in this conversation. You talked about how nurturing your audience uh, is really just staying top of mind with quality education, information, inspiration, resources, that pertains to the topics that you're working on so that you can build that relationship. It's different from maybe on social media when you're just doing research or generating awareness or connecting initially, it's the next step after that. And the purpose, I love how you broke this down, the purpose of doing the nurture messages is so that the reader can say, oh my gosh, they get me. They understand my situation. They're ahead of me. And they could probably help me. I could learn from them. And so it helps us to position us with credibility and and to build our expertise. And then you shared with us the best way to nurture our list is by email. Email is not dead. No matter how amazing all the social media platforms are that are out there right now and new ones coming up, email is the best way because... It is your business asset that you control. The other platforms, you don't have any control over it. They can be taken away or removed from you, but your email list is the best asset and you can control the frequency and the deliverability. And you also talked about the two buckets. There's two kinds of content that you can use to nurture your list, whether it's that inspirational, motivational, educational type or the personal stories and how you talked about weaving in stories into the educational pieces, or just having the standalone personal stories. Um, and then what I one of the things I really love that I wrote down was nurturing is not a buy this kind of message. There is a difference between the promotional messages of marketing and the nurture messages to continue to engage our list. You talked about some of the common mistakes and also shared how somebody could get started. I love the idea of creating a top 10 list like just to get that creativity flowing and how we can really just put our attention on those that have connected with us. Because when we do that, that connection is where the next steps can happen of turning them into clients. Linda, is there anything else that you want
0: to add to this? I'm so impressed with your recap. (laughs)
1: I love taking notes during these shows. It's just, I love learning about all of this. So I always take incredible notes and I don't want anybody to miss a morsel of what you had to share.
0: You were just amazing. So is there anything else? No, I think we got it all.
1: Excellent, excellent, excellent. Well, thank you for being here. Thank you for being part of this amazing conversation and for sharing everything. And everybody that's listening in, thank you to listening to this episode of Just Between Coaches for being here with Linda and I about this conversation regarding nurturing your audience. You can find out more about her at Clarecommunications.com. That's Claire C-L-A-I-R-E communications. Linda, thank you so much for coming to the show.
0: It's been such a pleasure, Melinda. Thank you so much.
1: I'm Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. Just Between Coaches is part of the Miracy FM podcast network, which also includes such shows as Making It and Once Upon a Business. This episode was produced by Cynthia Lamb. Mishi Lance assembled the episode. Danny Eni is our executive producer, and post production was by Post Office Sound. If you want future episodes that are coming up on Just Between Coaches, please follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you like the show, please leave us a starred review. It's the best way to help us get these ideas to more people.